threat is imminent, and I have to protect the one thing that I can't live without. That's you. Lady's dead, though. I need to know for sure. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you find me attractive? Of course. No, but really, right now, as I am, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? What am I doing? James B. Sullivan. Mike Wazowski. Listen, it was quite delightful meeting you and whatever that is, but if you don't mind, I have to study my scaring. You don't need to study scaring, you just do it. Gentlemen, your orders are to protect the city of two million people. Then let's go fishing. You'll be an outcast. I'll kill him. Do I look old to you? No. Yes. How old? Older than I am. Older than 27. No. Want to fight? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Fuck! We're talking about your life! We need to stay here until they start rescuing people, okay? A huge earthquake happens. Who do they rescue first? Actors. I want to lead the country one day for all I know. What the hell is this? Why are we even here? We are here to get annihilated. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will stumble. They will fall. But in time, they will join you in the sun. From Tuscaloosa, Alabama, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I've been Flanagan, and it is finally summer movie preview time. Even though the season has already kicked off, we're going to outline the most anticipated movies of the summer movie season going all the way through August, if there are any August releases that are worthy oh, of yeah. our time. Sure. Corey knows all about those. I think I go through July. And I'm all set. But we'll see. Either way, like I said, the summer movie season has kicked off this past weekend, or last weekend anyway. Iron Man 3 came out, the third in this pretty refreshing series of Marvel Studios movies, adaptations of what was a secondary Marvel character and has now become the dominant character of that universe. Nothing's been the same since New York. You experience things, and then they're over. I can't sleep. And when I do, I have nightmares. Honestly, there's a hundred people who want to kill me. I hope I can protect the one thing I can't live without. Heroes. There is no such thing. And I think most of us are thankful for that. I think most of us like Tony Stark and what Robert Downey Jr. and Marvel Studios did with him and have done with him and the way he sort of dominated the Avengers movie and the marketing and is now just sort of the face of that studio and franchise. But people weren't as high on Iron Man 2 as they certainly were with Iron Man 1. I think that that movie was a breath of fresh air not only for that brand, but by the time the second movie came out and Jon Favreau was directing again and they brought in new screenwriter Justin Theroux, who sort of put this what they called I think this Altman-esque spin on it and let these characters sort of jibber jabber over each other and it was very quip heavy and improv heavy and they sort of put the story and the action that you expect in these Marvel and Iron Man movies they put those sort of to the side and people found the movie fairly boring and a little overstuffed with characters and nonsense I didn't really feel that way and we actually reviewed this movie back when it came out and we were fairly positive about it I'm still fairly positive towards it I took another look at it recently like on Netflix instant and it actually held up pretty well I thought the action that was in it was really solid and it was just another two and a half hours spent with one of the best new movie characters in a long time Tony Stark and Downey is just as good in that but people felt like following the Avengers and with this third Iron Man movie which was supposedly going to work its way towards setting up another Avengers movie in this second phase of Marvel movies people thought that the Iron Man ship needed to be righted John Favreau stepped down they brought in Shane Black 
the director of a movie that you love and so many people love, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, someone who's worked with Robert Downey Jr. before, he was going to come in and they were going to make an Iron Man movie that we could be proud of again. Now, while I didn't feel that way, a lot of people did. And I don't know if you felt like that needed to happen with this franchise, but having seen Iron Man 3, would you say that the ship has been righted? You know, you mentioned Shane Black is is the director of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which he is, and I love that movie. But most pertinently, he's the writer, the screenwriter of some of the best action movies of the late 80s and early 90s, stuff like Lethal Weapon, The Last Boy Scout. I think he did the uncredited rewrite on Predator. He's an actor in Predator, coincidentally. You know, stuff like that sort of got Shane Black this reputation of being able to handle quippy characters and twisty plots and do so in a way that's refreshingly entertaining. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a movie that not a lot of people saw when it was released in 2005, certainly reminded people not only of Shane Black's talent at that, but of Robert Downey Jr. as a viable comedic actor. That was sort of his reemergence to certain crowds, followed by his work in, in 2007's David Fincher film Zodiac, right before he was cast as Tony Stark in Iron Man. So all that is, is sort of a, a lead-up to say that when I found out that Jon Favreau would not be directing Iron Man 3, my first thought for a replacement was Shane Black, based on the strength of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and his prior relationship with Robert Downey Jr. And I know a lot of other people felt that way, and sure enough, so did Marvel Studios. So, you know, while I like Favreau's first two films, I have a special affinity for the work of Shane Black, and accordingly, I think Iron Man 3 is the best of the standalone Iron Man movies. It's certainly more satisfying on a story level, I think, than the first and second movies. I know that everybody has a fondness for the first movie, and I really enjoy seeing Downey be Downey in that movie, yet I, I feel that movie still kind of falls apart a little bit when you get to the action climax and to the third act where things start happening, and it's not just Downey being Tony Stark and telling jokes. But Iron Man 3 is a pretty well-constructed, pretty smart screenplay with a lot on its mind a lot of really great twists and turns that it would be a shame to spoil but needless to say you haven't gone into a marvel movie prior to this expecting anything like that you've got a continuation of like you said one of the better star turns in recent memory with downey once again stepping into the shoes of tony stark and and being supported by this great supporting cast don Cheadle actually gets stuff to do this time around which is nice and gwyneth paltrow continues to step up her game in this film in in unexpected ways which i really appreciated but you also get new supporting cast members like guy pierce and rebecca hall and ben kingsley as the villainous mandarin so i guess that's all a long way to say that i think shane black made all the difference here in making this the sort of standalone movie coming after the grand spectacle of the avengers that would still retain people's attention and make them have some faith in the upcoming standalone superhero offerings that will come before the avengers reunite in 2015 i'm gonna disagree with you to a point in that i think 
Iron Man 1, the first one, is far superior to its sequels. Mm -hmm. I'd put it up here and those down here. And because this is audio, I'll just say one hand is higher than the other. (laughs) And that represents Iron Man 1. Good good for podcasting. Right. I think it's close between Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3. Mm -hmm. I really do. I don't think that there's much separation, if any. Especially going back and watching Iron Man 2 and finding so much positive to say about that movie. This one is good. It's really entertaining. It's extremely well written. The action, when it occurs, is strong. And Downey is just so ingrained in this role. It's kind of like Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit. It just feels like Downey and Tony Stark are just one. Mm -hmm. This was kind of like a character he was born to play. I was talking to my brother recently, and the word he used was effortless. It's just effortless. He doesn't even have to try anymore, but he does. And that's what makes this character so just engaging and appealing and charming. It is Downey at his peak. Each time he plays this character, he finds this sort of revitalized version of himself and reaches this potential that we all knew existed with Robert Downey Jr. And it just never really happened for him, even though he's been great in other movies. I just think this is the best work he's ever done and will hopefully continue to do in the four movies that he's played Tony Stark. But you have these comic book movies now and other properties that get very cute with their titles and what they name the films. Like Batman now isn't called Batman anymore. It's the Dark Knight. Or, you know, you have this movie based on Jack Reacher now that's just called Jack Reacher and isn't called what necessarily these books are called that their films are based on. Yeah, it's laziness. But honestly, I think it's lazy to call this Iron Man 3 and it should have just been called Tony Stark. Because what would you guess is the correct amount of screen time that Iron Man actually gets. Okay, I've heard this complaint, and I see where you're going with it. He's not in the suit all that much. No. But the prevailing theme of the movie is sort of that that Tony Stark is Iron Man whether or not he's in the apparatus or not. And in so many of these action scenes, he has to rely on his own wit, like in the first film when he's stuck in the cave, to get out of sticky situations. Mm -hmm. He's put in situations where he cannot rely on the sort of cocoon of his technology to save him. And, you know, it plays into this character thing that Tony Stark is suffering anxiety attacks and sort of a post-traumatic stress disorder from the events of the Avengers, where he's a man who technology was able to help save the day in these encroaching cosmic forces and things that are beyond human comprehension things that were happening in New York he was able to save the day but only just and only because of his technology so you open Iron Man 3 with a person who is increasingly reliant on that and terrified and the film is basically about stripping all that away and letting tony stark realize i guess that he is iron man without the iron man suit yeah the whole post avengers ptsd anxiety thing didn't totally work for me. well it's a little half-baked it is totally half-baked it, it just sort of comes and goes when it pleases right and 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 that that is a bit problematic but i still found the thematic satisfaction with that and to be honest even the non-Iron Man suit action scenes where it is just Tony are still really clever and satisfying secret agent Tony Stark I, I, I thought that put it. like when he concocts these various gadgets based on you know just stuff lying around in this one place and, and has to infiltrate this mansion in Miami and take out all of these very Shane Black goons yeah it becomes you, it becomes sort of this faux lethal weapon action sequence I, where I guess Tony maybe, Stark in a hoodie and yeah. like a zip up hoodie 
Cody is sneaking up behind people and taking them out. And maybe it's because I just love Shane Black, but I love that sequence. See, as I, we've said off mic before, I think you're watching this through Shane Black colored glasses. Yeah, and I. And, and, but, but it's it's totally a Shane Black movie, and on that level, it's satisfying. And on the level of being a story about Tony Stark as Iron Man after the Avengers, it's very satisfying to me too. I got to disagree with you about this being the most satisfying story. Look, I'm a big fan of origin stories, but I'm also sort of tired of them at this mm-hmm. point. But I think the first Iron Man movie did as well as anybody is creating this character and creating this persona of the superhero real person dynamic when he was in that cave in Afghanistan that's some of the strongest superhero comic book movie filmmaking I've seen in a long time the development of that character and of those motivations that Tony Stark had to me that's as good as it got and I don't think anything is as good as that build up mm-hmm. in this because once you start getting into sort of the nitty gritty beyond the thematic elements that you're talking about which are admittedly strong I think once you start introducing the obstacle this time, the foe, to put it simply, without getting too spoilery for Andrew and other people who haven't seen this movie at this point, the fire people just didn't do it for me. You know, Fire people are cool. Uh, but I expect to see fire people in Thor, not Iron Man. And I know that the Avengers sort of established the fact that supernatural things can happen in right. this universe, too. Right. And I'm not going to be that guy where I can't suspend my disbelief for any comic book movie, even like Iron Man. And I don't want to say also that it's rooted in some sort of realism or believability because somebody flying around in an iron suit, it's a ridiculous notion, this well, weaponized I mean, yeah, suit. Got- but there were aspects of it that made you think, okay, well, he's actually, you know, this engineer is putting the work in and the suit that he created in Afghanistan had all these bells and whistles that just seemed to fall apart even as he was using it. There was a really cool element to that that made me think, okay, well, this is, I can kind of buy this right now. Mm-hmm. But now it's reached this point where, yeah, post-Avengers, you have to just sort of anticipate and believe anything that happens. And again, I'm not saying that. I'm not willing to do that at a big summer comic book movie blockbuster, but the fire people, man, that just, again, like I, that's something I expect to see on the same planet as what would the ice giants or frost giants and Thor. Well, but, I mean... It doesn't work in Iron Man to me. Bruce Banner works in Iron Man, right? Well, I mean, that's equally... In the I mean, Avengers. equally ludicrous. Right, in the Avengers he does. Okay, but Tony I'm Stark saying, This is a post-Avengers in, world yeah, we're living Tony in Tony Stark appears in The Incredible Hulk at the very end of that film. Yeah. I mean, th- this, this has all you, long since been established as the same universe, and if you're going to accept... I'll give you that 15 of, seconds of Tony Stark Sure, the but if you're going to accept the notion of, of the Hulk being a thing, Fire People's okay for me. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, this is not the first example of ludicrous nonsense in a Marvel comic book movie, and Lord knows it won't be the last. What kind of foe can you think of that can match in either wit, intelligence, or physicality, right? In the first two movies, they tried that by building other suits and other machines that could combat him. And I feel like that got a little repetitive, to be honest. It totally did, but I think it made for stronger action. This time around, I thought that it all boiled down to simply where the weaponization of these fire people, it didn't go far beyond, well, they touch his suit and it gets hot and burns through the iron, and that's about it. He needs to figure his way around that, and then end of action scene, he figured it out. End of movie. And then one of them breathes fire at one point. Yeah, but that was played off as a joke, and it was funny. Oh. <sighs> I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I guess I kind of get what you're saying, but I didn't find the repetition of action scenes as you did, I guess, at least not as much as, say, Mickey Rourke being a guy with electrified whips in mm. Iron Man 2, you know? And I don't have a problem with Iron Man 2, but that movie is like, oh no, some robotic drones and Mickey Rourke 
with electrified whips, and that's really all that movie has going forward in the way of villainy. I found that more interesting, though, this, or more entertaining, anyway, just I, from, like, I an did. action standpoint. It worked for me on that level. The notion of this sort of, like, this, again, very chain black conspiracy of, of sort of colluding business interests that result in these militarized fire people, to keep using that term. Uh, <laughs> what else could you I, say? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> but that was very interesting to me, and it seemed like a really logical progression from the previous films because in, in Iron Man 2 you have Sam Rockwell's character Justin Hammer who's looking to compete with Stark at his own game by making these robotic suits and these drone soldier guys. When Iron Man 3 after the Avengers logically the competing business interests are now looking to modify the human body itself and Tony Stark is even moved towards that by implanting the I guess he's implanting like microchips in his skin so he can summon the Iron Man suit remotely. Which he tried to do in the Avengers with like a bracelet or something. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, that's right. I had forgotten about well, that. Well, it, it seems like these movies progressively try to figure out new, cooler ways for him to get into the suit. Well, and, and I don't want to get too nerdy about it, but the comic book arc on which this film is largely based, the Extremis arc, does deal heavily with body modification on the part of Tony Stark and his foes. So to me, that feels like a logical progression. And like you said, it's it's all about suspension of disbelief, I guess. You buy into it or you don't. And even if you do buy into it, I mean, I, I feel like the amount of action is varied and interesting enough. Well, you have throughout. to buy into it. Yeah. You have to. Even from square one, this is a comic book movie. And I guess the reason it, it, it's, it remains interesting to me, though, is that it's not just Stark in suit fighting fire people. Because he's taken out of the suit, and he's forced to deal with this Terminator 2-like force, often just on the fly. Like, you, you have these scenes where Stark is sort of hanging out in this small Tennessee town, dealing with this boy, and trying to sort of put things back together, and he's soon menaced by these people and I, I found that really all really effective yeah it was effective and then you know you have this threat of a child actor midway through the movie and he actually does a pretty good job he does a really good job yeah i mean it helps that he and downey the, the kid and downey have really good chemistry yeah they play off each other really nicely is that iron man technically i am technically you're dead that was point what happened to him life I built him. I take care of him. I'll fix him. Like a mechanic? Yeah. If I was building Iron Man and War Machine... It's Iron Patriot now. That's way cooler. No, it's not. Anyways, I would have added in um, the retro... Retro-reflective panels? To make him stealth mode. You want a stealth mode? Cool, right? That's actually a good idea. Maybe I'll build one. Not Oops. a good idea. What are you doing? You're going to break his finger? He's in pain. He's been injured. Leave him alone. Sorry. Are you? Don't worry about it. I'll fix it. Yeah, I think Downey probably deserves a lot of credit for that. He just seems You're just like not a guy. willing to give no, credit I just to think, child actors. I think Downey just seems like a guy who he'll dominate whatever scene he's in. Right. But the skill that Downey also has, he's able to restrain that. He's able to rein that in sometimes and uh -huh. let other people have a scene without just quipping them out of the frame. He is probably the kind of guy who would welcome 
the notion of a child sharing a scene with someone like him whose character is childlike in his own way. Right. And so you, you have these two children sort of butting heads when the child at times seems more mature than Tony Stark. Right. And I thought that that was an interesting dynamic. And the kid was he was good. Okay, he was good. That took a lot. But you mentioned like Sam Rockwell and Mickey Rourke before, and you know I, I understand the criticisms of they're there, but they're not really doing anything in this movie. They spend probably an hour of the movie off screen building these machines, and you have these check in moments where yeah. Sam Rockwell walks up on Mickey Rourke and says, "All right, well, how are they coming?" Yeah, there's there's a disproportionate amount of that movie yeah. to Howard Stark. But Mickey Rourke and Sam Rockwell, even though they didn't have a lot to do, they're really good at doing nothing. Uh-oh. They were I, I really like where great. You're with this. You have these supporting characters yeah. in this who I think get more to do, but I think that instead of playing to their own talents and what we know them for, they sort of reduce themselves to these very thinly designed comic book villain tropes that we've seen in bad comic book movies. And I don't think that Guy Pierce, who I think is one of the most talented actors out there, really gets an opportunity to shine in this role. I think he does in the opening moments of the movie more so than the rest of it. Well, I mean, he's playing, like you said, a trope, but there's something about that sort of sleazy trope that I dig. It's executed pretty much exactly how you think it's going to be, and and I'm not saying he's a superlative bad guy here. Not like Ben Kingsley as the Mandarin, and and of course, this is kind of a plot point we're going to have to dance around a little bit. But yeah, let's dance around it. Did you did you like where that went? I did. I, I, in, in the moment, I loved it. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't think they capitalized. I really don't, because I thought Ben Kingsley was outstanding. He was great as the superlative villain character, but I think that had they ridden that all the way, then it might have been even stronger. I love the Mandarin as this foe for Tony Stark. It is basic. You do sort of have this Osama bin Laden sort of hybrid terrorist that seems cliched at this point, and there is a reason for that in this movie. Yes. But I liked it. Ride that. You you liked the cliche? I did. I did. For this world, I liked that. See, I thought it was mildly interesting but I don't know the direction that they take that in just kind of blew me away. Yeah, it does, and 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 I and I and I love that. Yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, I do too. Which, for sake of of Andrew and our listeners who might not have seen the movie, it's just an interesting subversion, not only on the notion of this sort of standard other terrorist villainy that we've seen in in a lot of these movies and even in the first part of the first Iron Man movie though it is subverted there too I mean it's an interesting commentary I guess on I don't don't want to say it's interesting commentary on current events because that sounds kind of stupid but it kind of is in a lot of ways and and in a way that that I found really interesting and was not expecting in a movie like this. Yeah, the subversion works the trick works but once you've done that you've still got us for what an hour yeah. of the movie, maybe more, and, and, and I, I just didn't think that it built upon the strength of the subversion. But it's pretty breakneck after that point, because then you've got the, the Air Force One action sequence, which is the best action sequence in the movie, as far as I'm concerned. It's great. Certainly the best set piece in the movie. You've got smarmy sub-villain James Badge Dale being kind of awesome in the movie as as just a smarmy dude. And then you've got the big oil tanker storage place finale, which I thought was incredible. I've seen a ton of reviews specifically say, oh, the movie devolves into standard super 
superhero, blah, blah, blah. And the action climax, which uh, weighs down the movie. But the variety and visual cleverness of that action climax is astounding. Yeah, it is. And that's why we come to see Iron Man movies, too, partially. I mean, I think that's the best action sequence in any of these freestanding Iron Man movies. The Air Force One or the finale? Well, I guess... Well, both. I mean, those are the two best, but as far as seeing Iron Man be Iron Man and Tony Stark be Tony Stark, you don't really get much better than that action climax. You know, I think even though you say you like the movie, I still think not enough credit is given to the extremely short but really exciting climax of Iron Man 2. It's really strong to me. They run together anyway, but yeah, like you have what he's built 40 something suits. Up to this right. point in this movie, at one point in this movie, you see them all in action. Yeah. And there's this whole thing where Tony Stark is switching from suit to suit. In midair. Yeah, and it's great. Explode it's awesome. Him. And that's what I wanted. But, you know, I think it just it took its time. It took way too much time in getting to sequences like that. And even if you are building on this character that we love and that we'd love to see continue to evolve in ways that it has successfully, I still want the Iron Man action, man. I want more of it. That's why I'm here. Tony Stark will return, as yeah. they say, at the very, very end of the movie. I actually didn't stick around to the final after credits moment. but it's, it's cute. I've seen it on shaky cam YouTube. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's pretty amusing. Yeah, it's good. But the credits are so long. <laughs> we haven't really talked about Gwyneth Paltrow either, and I think she's really good in this movie. I think she's good too, but there's so much going on here, yeah. and they spend so much time with Tony Stark sort of away from his world that I don't think she and other supporting characters have much time to really do much in the way of developing their characters. Yeah, there's a sequence in the movie where you're with Tony Stark for like 20, 25 minutes, and it cuts back to Gwyneth Paltrow and Rebecca Hall, and you're just like, oh yeah, I've seen the movie twice, and I've had that reaction both times. Like, oh, they're still in this movie. You know, that's that's nice. All right. Great. So Yeah, and she I was mean, wasted, too. Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall was a little wasted. Yeah. And, and I love Rebecca Hall. I love her. I yeah, think, me too. I, I think she's a terrific actress. And, and, you know, like, when the movie was... In development, I think Jessica Chastain was originally cast in that role, and like I'm glad she didn't make I it. I kind of am too. Yeah, you know that's it's a small role, and it's not as pivotal as you would hope, and it would have been. It's a waste of somebody like Rebecca Hall in that role, but it's a pleasure seeing her on screen. Anyway. Well, look, it's another great time at the movies in this Marvel universe that they've created. It's very satisfying. If we're talking about like ranking these movies, it's still a little too early to do that. But again, for me, it's a toss-up between Iron Man 2 and 3, and 1 still sort of reigns supreme. What about in the larger Marvel movie universe? I'd probably put it in the Thor, Captain America realm. Thor's the only one I don't really like. Yeah, I rewatched Thor recently. Recently, and it was actually pretty good. Mm. If you ignore Cat Dennings for most of it, then it's actually kind of enjoyable. But I like Captain America better than that, so I'd probably put Iron Man 3 right under Captain America. See, Captain America and Iron Man 3 are my two favorite of the standalone superheroes. Well, I'd go Iron Man 1 and Avengers before those, personally. I might put Avengers before those, but for me, Iron Man 3, Captain America, and Avengers are sort of the top of the heap. Okay. Followed by Iron Man, and then Iron Man 2, and then you've got Thor and the Incredible Hulk. Well, I think we successfully danced around the spoilers for Andrew. Sort of. Sort of. Sorry, man. Well, you'll still enjoy it. All right. Well, that does it for Iron Man 3. It's in theaters. It's going to be there for a long time. You've probably already seen yeah, it. Yeah, if you haven't seen it, like Andrew, somehow. Sorry. Yeah, what can you do? On the li- It's on the queue. Yeah.
So let's move on to our summer movie preview, and we'll try to dash through this, yeah. because we know a lot about these movies, and a lot of people already do, too. We just want to tell you what we're really looking forward to as quickly and concisely as possible, and we can cut it down to five or we can do ten whatever you want to do this will all be extemporaneous because i remember a lot of these. okay like i don't have a list in front of me i'll start us off Go i mean ahead. iron man was really probably the top dog for me going into the summer and now that we've seen that and i was not 100 percent right about that in my anticipation for it but who's not going to look forward to an iron man movie especially as much as i like that franchise but i guess next for me is the next big win i know the great gatsby is out this weekend and we hopefully we'll talk about that soon on the next show you've seen it and Andrew's seeing it today. But the next big blockbuster is Star Trek Into Darkness. It opens May 17th. Then yeah, May 16th. That's true. Good call yeah. because they, they pushed it up a day. I'm not sure what difference that's really going to make and how I'm going to see it. Right. I doubt I would have seen it in the first two days. You never know, but can't wait. I love the 2009 version, and I know that we've talked off mic maybe a little bit on the show about some of the reservations you might have for this version because of some of the problems you have with Abrams and what he did with the 2009 version, but I happen to love that movie. I think it's just a great science fiction action adventure movie, regardless of it even being Star Trek. I mean, mm -hmm. as a standalone, just sort of space adventure, which I'm sure hardcore Trek fans probably consider it, not necessarily one that belongs in the Star Trek canon. I just thought that movie totally worked, had great action, great humor, just felt exciting. It felt like an event movie during the summer, which we don't really feel much of anymore. I'm apprehensive about this movie. I hope to enjoy it. I do enjoy the 2009 Abrams film, though, and this is going to be a shameless plug, I just wrote a story in Tusk for the Tuscaloosa News, sort of going back through the seven films that feature Kirk and Spock and the original crew of the Enterprise, including this Abrams reboot. And they're all, to varying degrees, successful. And the Abrams reboot, though, when you, when you sort of stack it up to the other movies, feels of its time period, which is to say action spectacle first character second and the fact that the characters in abrams movie make any impression is a testament to the great casting and to the great performances that bring these characters to life it's certainly not due to the i would call it very facile screenplay so i hope that the cast is able to sort of re-bottle that lightning in this sequel and make it work and i hope that the fan service elements of the plot are not going to piss me off as much as I think they are. Well, Benedict Cumberbatch is on board. and I like him. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And I hope he gets to shine as much as I think he probably will as the villain in this movie. <laughs> Whoever the villain is. Right. right. Well, wink. Captain, you're going to punch me again over and over till your arm weakens. Clearly you want to, so tell me. Why did you allow me to live? We all make mistakes. No. I surrender to you because, despite your attempt to convince me otherwise, you seem to have a conscience, Mr. Kirk. If you did not, then it would be impossible for me to convince you of the truth. The next week, I think we're both really pumped for what will be the sixth in the Fast and Furious franchise. It's hard to get excited for the sixth movie in any franchise because you start thinking of really bad horror sequels and, right. and other bad movies because the sixth time around, it just feels like you've just been there so many times before. Revenge of the Sith. Oy, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Fast and Furious 6 looks awesome. 
And mm-hmm. these movies just seem to get better and better as the franchise ages, which is totally unusual. Yeah, it is. But this this is probably the most excited I've been for a Fast and Furious movie, that's for sure. I mean, it's fair to say that 2011's Fast Five sort of redefined what this franchise can be and how people think of it by just being totally over the top with its sort of heist-based action plot and introducing a lot of really like fun elements to that mix fast and furious 6 seems to continue to amp that up with the whole returning ensemble on board for what looks to be totally ridiculous totally fun vehicular action can you think of another franchise that has seriously reinvented itself the same way that the fast and furious franchise has i mean not usually to the positive as it goes on yeah keeps the same characters yeah and instead of this being about like street racing and petty crime, petty crime of like hijacking eighteen wheelers, right. it's turned into this big car chase bonanza, yeah. drug running, weapon running, just like bigger than the first several movies newly formed franchise. And it's great. And you toss in the Rock too, yeah, as this like meathead police officer or like SWAT leader or whatever he was, some guy. Yeah, it, it looks like he's got a bigger part this time. Yeah, I hope so. And he was a lot of fun in the last one. And yeah, I just, I can't wait. I mean, these stunts are just amazing. And in the last one, God went. <laughs> the new trailer <laughs> with the, the, just the insane, like flying through the yeah. air. <laughs> I well, mean, I, it just makes me laugh well, you so think hard about, because it's so absurd, but it's going to be so much fun. You think about in the last one when Paul Walker and Vin Diesel free fall off of this bridge as this train crosses the bridge and their car yeah. flies off of this yeah. mountain and they're just flying through the air. That's the, one of the coolest stunts I've ever seen. So goofy, but I mean, again, this this requires considerable suspension of disbelief, but once you get there, it's so, so fun. Well, that happens May 24th, I think, Yeah, unless it gets bumped up a day, but also on May 24th officially, the third, and we're talking sequels again, but I think these are welcome additions, the third in the Richard Linklater Before Trilogy, Before Midnight, with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, of course, reprising their roles as Jesse and Celine. And it will open in Alabama in September. We're both major fans of this franchise. Yeah. I think you can say you love one or the other better between the first two movies. I, I'm a Before Sunrise person, but I'm I a, love Before Sunset. I'm a Before Sunset person. So it's the opposite, yeah. but you can acknowledge that both of them, are, Absolutely. I think, are just modern romance masterpieces. And yeah, I can't wait. Like When Before Sunset came out, it just blew my mind that this is a sequel that actually exists. Right. And now you have this trilogy. And I guess you're reminded of like foreign filmmakers who do this from time to time and make these kinds of trilogies or probably did back in the day a little more than they do now. But it's just great to see that somebody will put up the money for a sequel like this. I mean, this is like the art house event of the summer, right? What else compares to... I mean, you've got new movies from Pedro Almodovar and Woody Allen later this summer, of course. And the Woody Allen movie is going to be something that we hotly anticipate. But as far as an event in art house cinemas, there's there's nothing that compares to this. And there hasn't been anything that compared to this in, in a while. Yeah, it's kind of like the return of the king for yeah, indie fans. It kind of is. <laughs> you know, what else has captured the imagination of serious-minded indie moviegoers like Richard Linklater's series here? And the fact that it exists at all, like you said, is staggering enough, but the fact that it comes out in a couple weeks, I can't wait. I'm on board. Absolutely. And sort of staying in the art house realm, 
Sophia Coppola has a new movie out this year. It's called The Bling Ring, starring Emma Watson and some other young actors and actresses. She follows up somewhere, which I thought was really good. I'm not a fan. Oh, I liked it. And she had followed, what, Marie Antoinette up with that? Yeah. Yeah, so... And I, and I like that okay, but it's sort of been diminishing returns. So you're not high on Coppola right now? I love The Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation so much that... She's earned enough goodwill. She's, she's, got, a, she's got a lifetime pass. And I think that Marie Antoinette is good and interesting and I think that Somewhere is generally not that good but still interesting enough. It's not that I'm you know not high on Sofia Coppola because I'll see whatever she does just like I don't think her last couple have been as good as she can be. And we were both big fans of Spring Breakers which came yeah. out earlier this year and this kind of has a similar plot in terms of like young people behaving badly and right. stealing and so would you consider this sort of like the art house deep impact Armageddon or <laughs> White House Down Olympus has fallen. Yeah, of the I, guess, year. I guess we'll see. I guess, yeah, I guess we'll see. But the trailers for this have, have promised Coppola's uh, customary style in service of what appears to be a, a pretty interesting uh, plot. So, well, if we're going in order here, and you can throw titles in as we're going, but I'm sort of sticking to the calendar. Sure. On June 14th, Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Bring it. Superman movie. I'm so on board. Yeah, me Can't too. Wait. I'm more, more on board for a Superman project than I've ever probably been in my life. Yeah. And that has everything to do with the third trailer that came out, which I, I thought was a masterpiece it's unto itself. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It is. And it, if, if the film delivers on that sort of scale that it promises, this is going to be just, it's going to blow my mind. And I am a Superman fan from way back. I have the box set, you know, it's like I was a fan of Superman Returns even. And I know that that movie is much derided by people for some reason. But I, there are good reasons. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I'll rewatch it before this movie comes out, and we'll talk about it later. Yeah. But uh, this seems to be the big-budget, large-scale Superman story that we have always wanted, given the lifting of the constraints thanks to modern computer generation and so forth, special effects-wise, that we didn't really get from Superman Returns, which was, for all its good qualities, certainly a lot more grounded and character-based. Not to say that this one won't be character-based, because it does look like it focuses on the human element of Clark Kent and his family, his adopted family, here played by Diane Lane and Kevin Costner in wonderful casting. As much as it does the grand-scale action, and we have Michael Shannon, the wonderful Michael Shannon, as General Zod, promising that in spades. So, I mean, I'm trying to restrain my enthusiasm so I don't get burned, but this looks really phenomenal yeah i am too i'm trying to rein in these expectations but with that trailer i've been burned by good trailers before right. but good lord and when you've got christopher nolan in your corner making this happen with you and and you know say what you will about Zack snyder and his previous films i think all of which i've actually liked even his much maligned sucker punch yeah that's bad though i think it's pretty good Eesh. you look at like watchmen there's a lot going on in watchmen right and I mean, visually, if you yeah, can that's say what, nothing that's what else, I mean. like yeah. he he is a stylist, yeah. And this is the sort of movie that I have wanted him to make. You know, you look at Sucker Punch, say what you will about its qualities, but Sucker Punch hints at an amazing composer of large scale action, and you don't really get that in something like Watchmen or Three Hundred, even as stylized and as interesting as both of those movies are. And I actually think Watchmen's very good, yeah. But this promises the direction that I want him to take. 
Yeah, and look, going back to that trailer, too, and what we'll see much more of in the movie, Hans Zimmer, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. And you've got Amy Adams as Lois Lane. You've got this. I mean, the guy who plays Superman, I'm not familiar with his work outside of that movie he made, Immortals. And I guess he was in The Cold Light of Day, which I saw, which was pretty lame. But he seems to have the look down, at least. You know, I don't know much about him, Henry Cavill, but, you know, I'm on board. I trust Zack Snyder. I guess that's kind of a weird thing to say. Look, you got Dawn of the Dead. You've got 300, which was wildly entertaining, despite, yeah. you know, some of its problems. And Watchmen the same way, so I trust him, too. Yeah. I don't really have many reasons not to, other than Sucker Punch, but I think even if you go three for four, that's a good batting average. Yeah, So and again, even kind of like Sucker Punch. I guess four for four for you. you know, I kind of feel like it's weird to say because everybody hates Sucker Punch, but I walked out of it and I was like, that movie has some interesting <laughs> things going on there and then you know all of the reviews that i read made a point of saying this movie has no interesting things going on that's like, well really? okay. yeah i wouldn't well, say that all right because even so. even visually again you have Zack snyder and i mean, it, I mean visually. It, there's no question that it's a mess but it's you know fairly enjoyable mess on June 21st, Monsters University, the newest from Pixar. It's another Pixar sequel. I think yeah. the third Pixar sequel at this point, when you've got two Toy Story sequels and Cars 2. I, I know that you were really high on Brave, and that's probably contributing to your anticipation of this movie, but I can't recall. It's not that I, I'm like, I'm not going to go out of my way to see this uh, Pixar movie. It's like, oh, that movie's coming out. I don't really have any feeling towards it. Like, I like Monsters Incorporated fine, but I wasn't chomping at the bit for a continuation of that story. I'll see this. It's just you know i don't have any expectations from it either way yeah and the guy who's directing it his name is dan scanlon he's is someone who worked a good deal on cars also he directed and wrote the short mater in the ghost light so uh-huh. that's an extension of cars so somebody who has a lot of cars credits under their belt that doesn't get me too excited especially about a sequel and a continuation right. of one of the pixar movies and pete doctor isn't directing this time so that's kind of a check mark against it but again you talk about a good batting average going into a movie and Pixar has that a great one and you have the principal cast returning and the animation looks extremely strong and all I can really say is that it's Pixar so yeah. I'll be there and I know. I, like I just I just don't I'm just not feeling any sort of anything about this you know yeah. it's like i even liked cars too fine it's just like I, I i just not really into this for whatever reason well how about the only truly original movie on my list from guillermo del toro on july 12th pacific rim oh hell yeah alien life they came from deep beneath the pacific the first made land in san francisco program was born two pilots mind melding through memories with the body of a machine 2,500 tons of awesome we started winning then it all changed giant robots versus giant sea monster alien things you had me at giant robots yeah we've seen that that can't work sometimes with these michael bay things that came out <laughs> especially if you design these like indistinguishable what are you robots about? and these indistinguishable action sequences but right. i can tell you from the two minute trailer of pacific rim i can see what's going on in the shot yeah. when these giant things are fighting each other and i can make out what the robot looks like even during what looked like night sequences that are shot in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I mean, it looks so cool. And the only thing getting in the way here this time are this human cast 
that we have to sit through to get to the giant robots fighting. So I hope it's not another one of those things where we're promised giant robots fighting giant monsters and we only get like 10 minutes of that at and the like most. 110 minutes of Charlie Day right. being Charlie Day. Exactly. And look, Charlie Day is a funny guy and everything, but he's not the reason I'm seeing yeah, Pacific you, Rim. You're going to sit there with your arms crossed <laughs> saying, I was promised giant robots. Right. No, I, I mean, really, I, I trust Guillermo del Toro as much as I trust any filmmaker at this point. Really? Yeah. I don't. Really? No. Because look, I love Blade too as much as the next guy. Good. And the Hell the Hell right. the Hellboy movies are great. They have a lot to offer. No. <laughs> Wrong. Hellboy two is amazing. It's really good. It's better than Hellboy One and the Hellboy character. And what he was able to do with Ron Perlman, who's in this movie, yes. is nothing short of amazing. The design and the effects are incredible. And there are so many great things about those movies. Not the biggest Pan's Labyrinth fan in the world. What? And I have to say, I felt a sense of relief when I heard that he dropped out of directing the Hobbit movies. Uh, well, or movie, when it was one movie. I mean, like, just in that we got Peter Jackson back on that, sure. But anything he does, I mean, again, and talk about your filmmakers with, with lifetime passes. He's got one for me. Yeah, and he's just somebody who obviously gets it, Yeah, you know, and cares about movies and his movies and others, and he's going to put everything into whatever he makes, and he's super creative. So, yeah, in that regard, I'll give him a lifetime pass. He deserves our attention. Have you ever seen The Devil's Backbone? No. No, and I haven't seen Mimic Yeah, Mimic's either. pretty good. Yeah. It's not great. I mean, it's a... Oh, it's not great? I mean, it's it's a, like a late 90s Miramax yeah. horror movie, so you get what you expect with that, but it, it's got enough of his imagination present. It's missing from my Charles S. Dutton yeah, you got you got you got to complete the the Charles. I'm a S. Charles Dutton S. Dutton filmography. completist. Yeah, what can I say? Uh, no, I I mean Mimic is 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 fine, but uh, the Devil's Backbone is getting a Criterion Collection Blu-ray release later this summer, and you got to check it out because it's amazing. Definitely. Next on my list here, and I know it'll be on your list as well. The latest from Nicholas Winding Refn on July 19th, I believe this will be released somewhere, if not available on demand. Maybe. Well, I mean, it's being released by Radius, right? And they traditionally, like, release things day and date in theaters and on demand. I'm surprised that this isn't, like, the Weinstein Company proper because you'd have thought that Nicholas Winning Refn would have a great deal of clout, at least critically speaking, after Drive. But sure, I mean, maybe it's a return to his more hardcore impulses. Yeah, and this is Only God Forgives that we're talking about here, the follow-up to Drive. And this also stars Ryan Gosling. And talk about a pass or somebody who's work i'm just going to see probably every time it is nicholas winding reference and the first red band trailer that he released for this just totally sold me yeah it's pretty great can't wait i'm on board i mean of course takes place in thailand you're, you're kind of in the thailand underworld and involves bare knuckle boxing in bangkok and other lewd criminal activity and you have Kristen scott thomas on board and these other thai actors who look like they're bringing a lot to the table yeah definitely so can't wait for that closing out my list here on july 26th we mentioned woody allen too sort of to stay in this art house realm his next movie blue jasmine has a lot of folks in the cast including louis ck kate blanchett as the star alec baldwin andrew dice clay sally hawkins peter sarsgaard and Michael Stuhlbarg from A Serious Man fame. That's yeah. an incredible cast. Yeah, it is. And sometimes, you know, he might have incredible casts for so-so efforts, but it's Woody it's, Allen. It's happened before. Yeah, It'll we're going to see happen it. probably again. But, yeah, I mean, despite not knowing anything about the plot, as is customary. We'll talk about a lifetime pass. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, yeah. On board there. So, any more you want to toss in there? Well, yeah, and if, if we're going into August, can't leave out uh, Neil Blomkamp's follow-up to District 9, Elysium. 
Unless you didn't really care for District 9. Yeah. Only some sort of insane person <laughs> would say that. Because District 9 is amazing. Best Picture nominee, District 9. Yeah, and worthwhile Best Picture nominee, District 9. Yeah, I mean, Elysium looks to amp up everything that I liked in District 9. In a story high on social commentary. And you've got Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. So, yeah, the trailer for that looked pretty terrific. So, I'm on board with and that. And Charlto Copley is back, too. Yeah, he is. And he's playing the villain, I guess. I don't really know for sure. On Friday, August 23rd, too, you have three releases that I think will be on our radar. The first, the horror release, Your Next, might only be on mine. It's sort of a, it was a festival darling from a while back that was acquired by Lionsgate and is finally seeing release this summer. Apparently a very, very effective, uncommon horror movie. So I'm on board with those. Allegedly, according to Box Office Mojo, but I'll believe it when I see it, the latest film from Wong Kar Wai, Grand Masters, a kung fu epic, is receiving a wide release on August 23rd. Now, again... I think you're the only when, person stressing about this right now. When that opens at the Cobb, I will believe that that is, that is getting a wide release. But I cannot conceive of a world in which that movie would get a wide American release. But if it does, I'll be there with bells on. But I guess the August 23rd release that we're most on board with is Edgar Wright's latest, The World's End. Which finally has a trailer. And it's a pretty cool trailer. Yeah. I saw the boys the other day. <laughs> We're going to go back to Newton Haven. Why? Five guys, 12 pubs, 50 pints. 60 pints. <laughs> Steady on, you alkid. This is our chance to finally finish what we started. <laughs> we are going to do the gold mile, and this time we are going to see it through to the bitter end. Or lager end. Good evening, Raimondo. The prodigal son's return. Hi. What do you recommend? Beer. Mmm. One tap water. What? You know, you reunite Simon Pegg and Nick Frost in the third part of their Cornetto trilogy, and you include your fence gag in the trailer, which, of course, all of these movies have to have a fence gag. I'm just going to love this movie. I'll just go ahead and say it. There's no way I'm not. <laughs> Why should you expect not to? Yeah, I have no expectation that this will be anything less than one of my favorite comedies of the year. It, it, it's other three movies were my favorite comedies of their respective years. Yeah, it looks good. It's going to be a lot of fun for sure. And this is also following up on Scott Pilgrim, which was one of the best summer movies, if not best movies of that year. It was and in that, my top ten. Yeah, yeah, that came out in August too, I think. Mm -hmm. So that was a really nice didn't way make to... any money? No, well... At all? That doesn't always matter. No, it does. But, it certainly I mean, did in this case. Edgar Wright, another guy whose movies you must see. To jump on top of that, you've also got This is the End, uh -huh. which is another apocalypse comedy coming out this summer on June 12th. And it's written and directed by Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. stars a whole bunch of these Apatow crew folk that we've seen in the past, what, five or six years. Mm. These folks who have themselves built enough goodwill to merit probably a theatrical screening of this comedy. And it looks pretty funny, too. It does. I mean, it looks like it's playing pretty heavily on the Hollywood in-joke thing, but yeah. that's something that I tend to laugh at. So. God, so many people in yeah. this movie. Jeez. All playing themselves in an apocalyptic situation. Yeah. And just the trailer, like the Red Band trailer depicting like Michael Sarah as a raging cokehead who gets <laughs> impaled to death or something. I mean, that's really funny. Emma Watson is supposedly a dangerous person too. In it. <laughs> the line, she shows up and, and robs them. Her, Hermione just stole all of her shit. <laughs> They've proven again and again that all they have to do really is curse and I'll laugh at it. So. I mean, I just want to run down the list of names. James Franco, Paul Rudd, Seth Rogen, Jonah Hill, Jason Siegel, Michael Sarah. Uh, McLovin, 
Jay Baruchel, <laughs> Mindy Kaling, Martin Starr, Aziz Ansari, Kevin Hart, Danny McBride. Well, any more you want to toss out? I think we've pretty well covered it. I guess one that or two that we didn't really talk about. I'm pretty excited for the late summer horror release, The Conjuring, from director James Wan, based on the alleged true story of paranormal investigator The Warrens, who investigated the Amityville Horror case. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga star as the Warrens investigating a haunted home uh, inhabited, I think, by Lily Taylor is the mother. I think Ron Livingston plays her husband, and they've got a bunch of kids, and they're all terrified by ghosts. James Wan earned a lot by Insidious. I don't really care too much for his previous films, but Insidious was strong enough. If he's working in a similar fashion with a low-key, low-budget haunted house movie, I'll, I'll probably see it. The last haunted house movie with Lily Taylor I saw was not very good. I own that on DVD. <laughs> That's how much of a soft touch I am for haunted house movies. Yeah, that was awful, I thought. But the haunting? Yeah. Jan de Bont? Yeah. Yeah, that was a huge disappointment for me in the theater. I enjoyed it. Oh, boy. I saw it in the theater, too. What was that, like 97, 99? 99. Yeah. God, that was a good movie year, too. The title's terrible, but it could be good. The Conjuring. Yeah. That's just lame. A movie that I think everybody's already sort of written off as being a flop is The Lone Ranger. Well, it probably will flop because, what, it costs more than $300 million to make or something like that. I guess at those numbers it can't help but flop, but... What a ridiculous budget. It is pretty ridiculous, but I will say that if you're going to make a wildly inflated blockbuster thing like that... You could do worse than to hire Gore Verbinski to direct it, who not only has experience, I guess, in wildly inflated blockbuster budget movies with the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy before the fourth one was terrible, but, you know, also he has this very unique way of composing chaotic action and sort of clever set pieces that I find really appealing and will probably get me to see The Lone Ranger as if I didn't see everything anyway. So, so that opens when? July 2nd. All right, then. Summer movie preview. That does it. That does it for the show unless you want to toss out a DVD recommendation real quick. Uh, Upstream Color is on DVD, Blu-ray, available on VOD and iTunes, and it's one of the best movies of 2013. Second film from Primer director Shane Carruth. It's a mind-bender, as Primer was. Yeah, you don't say. Yeah, but um, a little bit more emotionally grounded than Primer. I think it's just an astronomically good movie. Does it speak the same language as Primer? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's... Is it going to hurt my head? Yeah. It relies a lot on you filling in some blanks, but I think all of the pieces are there. You just have to put them together. It's a puzzle of a movie, but it's so worth it. Well, and also speaking of what is probably a puzzle of a movie, the latest from Terrence Malick is still available via iTunes right. and I think video on demand yep. to, the Wonder, to The Wonder, which you've seen. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about it well, sometime you should, soon. You should get it, and, yeah. and we could talk about it on this. I mean, it would be great if we could do a To the Wonder Upstream Color show. Oh, boy. I mean, that might break some heads, but... Uh... <laughs> You know, or, or at least let's let's counteract what I'm sure will be the uh, thundering, moronic Star Trek Into Darkness with one of those two. Time now for a parting shot. For Film Nerds and Aspect Radio, this is Graham Flanagan reporting from New York. This weekend, I was pleasantly surprised after seeing the new sci-fi movie Oblivion, which immediately became my pick for best movie of 2013 so far. Its director, Joseph Kaczynski, is known for his last effort, Tron Legacy, which, while undeniably spectacular from a visual standpoint, didn't really connect with me in terms of story or performance. But Kaczynski makes up for it with Oblivion, proving that he doesn't need a previously established franchise in order to display his talents. 
Oblivion is a completely original sci-fi space opera that creates a truly unique universe and faithfully follows its own rules. I went into Oblivion confident that regardless of how the story played out, I would be impressed by the cinematography and visual effects. It goes without saying that my expectations in that regard were completely exceeded. This movie doesn't just have a look and a feel, it has a design. I think we can get used to this from Kaczynski, who has a background as a professional architect. Perhaps the movie's greatest technical feat lies in the creation of these drone apparatuses around which much of the plot revolves. These flying robots are like Eve from WALL-E combined with ED-209 from RoboCop and are incredible every time they're on screen. But the movie doesn't succeed due to its eye candy alone. I've always liked the term space opera, and I think that for me that's what Oblivion is. It's a big, beautiful, epic story set in the future and, in some cases, outer space. Regarding the story, it seems that most of the movie's naysayers think it draws too much on previous science fiction classics like 2000. 2001, A Space Odyssey, Alien, and Blade Runner. I'd say it's more like what Solaris might have looked like had Michael Bay signed on to make it. If this movie reminds you of those projects, that's okay. It doesn't necessarily mean Oblivion is trying to copy from those movies. I think that this movie is so good that it might happen to remind you of other really good movies that you love. The fact that people react in a negative way when this happens is disappointing. It's not like people simply dismissed everything that was great about Star Wars when they brilliantly figured out that it possessed thematic elements similar to Lord of the Rings. If you see this movie, it will definitely help if you're a science fiction fan. And I mean a borderline geeky science fiction fan. But it will help you even more if you go in without trying to spot similarities the movie may or may not have with other sci-fi classics. If you do that, then you might realize that Oblivion may be the latest sci-fi classic. Well, find us on Twitter and Facebook at Aspect Radio. We're on iTunes. Just search Aspect Radio. Visit Aspect Radio Show. Dot com. You can read Corey on Tus205.com. You can read me on ale.com. And we appreciate Andrew, as always, for sitting here patiently and letting us ruin. Very, very patient for me. And letting us ruin more movies for him. So go see some movies, Andrew, and we'll talk next time. So until next time, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening.